Is it time for a mind shift? If you don't know what that means, then join your host, Dr. Clint Haycock, a former evangelical Christian pastor and Bible college teacher of over 20 years, along the journey of deconstruction and reconstruction of faith, life, religion, and spirituality. I'm super happy to be welcoming back Ryan and Troy from the I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist podcast all the way from Melbourne, Australia. So welcome, guys, to part two of this podcast we're doing here on Mindship Podcast. It's awesome to be here. We're um, we're really looking forward to having a chat today and certainly following up from our conversation with you as well on part one of this. So it's going to be awesome. Troy, yeah, I, I think it's going to be great. I'm really it's looking forward to so keep good. going. I, I really enjoyed our last chat, which you know, as people can can tune in and listen to us. I thought there was a lot of synergy there with your story and our story. It was really good. It really is. And uh, for those of you that are going, wait a minute, what are you guys talking about? What's happening is that part one has come out on the "I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist" podcast, and that's more like my story. And on this episode, we're going to be doing part two with Brian and Troy. And I'm really, really excited to dive into their story because I don't know really anything about their backstory other than obviously you must have come up in some either cultic environment or fundamentalist evangelical environment. I don't know. So I'm really excited to find out about it. But I'm wondering, too, before we get into your story, could you give us a brief sort of a rundown? What is the purpose of your podcast? Why did you start it? And who's your sort of intended audience? Because I think you said in your in the discussion before that you get a lot of people who are still Christians who listen to your show and you get some very interesting feedback. So who's your audience aimed at? It's really interesting. Our audience is incredibly wide and varied. And and I guess the way that we started is that, so Troy and I have been mates for 30 plus years. Um, We did meet in the fundamentalist scene. So we met when we were both in the Pentecostal church. So it was an, an interesting space. And you know, obviously we'll get to this, but we've since left that, but we still catch up. We're still connected. Um, you know, some of it's been sporadic, but then some of it's been uh, particularly over the last, I don't know, seven or eight years, we've been back in the same city, maybe even 10 years. I can't, I can't remember. Um, so we used to catch up fairly regularly, even though we've both lived in different parts for Troy, in different parts of the world. I've lived in different parts of Australia. Um, we're now living 15, well, to be exact, 18 minutes away from each other on the freeway. Um, and so we would catch up regularly, have a chat and just talk about our experiences and and go, wow, it's a lot of it was so fucked up. Like a lot of it, like how do we contextualize this? How do we actually work this stuff out? Um, so it was coffee conversations. And then one day, Troy, I'll let him tell the story of how it happened, but he contacted me and said, how about we do a podcast? And this was maybe you know 18 months ago or so and then and he expected me to say no and i went yeah let's give it a crack right. and i didn't expect was, you to actually take me up on this thing <laughs> <laughs> that's it and, and here we are 60 episodes on um and it it's surpassed our expectations so the people who listen into us it, it's been surprising so there's people who have definitely left the fold there's people who are still involved there's people who are deconstructing We've actually got several ministers 
who were in, we've got a Facebook community with six or 700 people in it. Um, some people are, are really upfront about the fact that they're trying to work out where they're at. They're progressive Christians or they're people who call themselves post-Christian or um, whatever it may be. They're in different spaces. But I guess the, the main part of our podcast is to talk about experiences, bring people in like we did with you, Clint, to, to talk about experience and how you contextualize stuff, how you deconstruct, how you unpack, how you reconstruct your life, if that's where you choose to go. Um, but I think the main crux is be respectful, you know, be respectful for where people are at. We certainly um, are quite clear about where we're at. Um, and so I think for us, uh, we try not to do it in a disrespectful way and say to people, what you believe is a crock of shit. Um, and what we believe although, is... Although, right. can I say, sometimes people do get a little bit pissed off when we sort of say, how can you believe that? How can you think that? And they, they're sort of like, oh, you know, well, we do believe that. We do think that. And it's like, oh, okay. And you sort of have to apologize. Didn't mean to offend, but still the question lingers. How do you believe that? It doesn't, and that's where we're at, you know, and it's probably taken it for listeners that they'll listen to episode one and they'll listen to episode 15 and 25 and they'll see us evolve and they'll see our thinking evolve. And we're, we're unpacking things as we go. People are on the journey with us. Um, and, and I think for us, it's been, there's been epiphanies along the way, but Troy, I'll, I'll hand it over to you because I've waffled, but I'll hand it to you um, to to talk about where you see the pod, but also, you know, where where you've come from. Yeah, the, the podcast for me, I was listening to The Liturgists. I don't know if you've heard of The Liturgist mm. podcast, which is this American thing. And and the conversation was was interesting and fascinating at times. And I thought I'd really like to get involved, you know. So I, I reached out to them, you know, and I heard nothing because, you know, who am I, I guess. Um, and I said to Brian, let's, let's do this. Let's, let's join the conversation. And obviously we needed to create our own platform for that, which is, which is a podcast, but it was also during the lockdown, the COVID lockdown, there was, you know, a bit of boredom and stuff. And so we, we did it, you know, we put together this podcast, but it, it's funny listening. It's almost embarrassing. I don't think it's almost embarrassing. It is embarrassing listening to our early episodes because That's the sound, yeah, yeah, the sound quality was shit. And actually, Brian, um, I was listening today to one of our first interviews and just thinking we were just shit. You know, we were just so bad at interviewing. You know, it was, you know, anyway. So yeah, it's 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 evolved and it's morphed from us wanting to have a conversation to people coming along on this journey as we tell our stories, as we interview people, people have started to resonate and we've, you know, we've forged a community and it's great. We've got an Australian conversation now and, you know, we a hundred percent are tapping into people from around the world and communities of deconstruction of deconstructors around the world as well, but it's still uniquely Australian. Mm -hmm. It is such an amazing thing, isn't it? The, the internet, you can spread your message literally worldwide. I was telling a friend of mine about a woman who lives in Perth in Australia, and someone recommended a show that I did with a guest that you both have had, Dr. Josie McSkimming from Sydney. And she loaded up a couple of my episodes and listened to them as she drove across the outback, you know, as you do. And uh, she said, this is, this is exactly what I needed. This is, you know, she's kind of coming out of fundamentalist Christianity. So here's, here's a connection that we have. Uh, the, in fact, I listened to the episode that you did with Josie and I thought, you know, she's just so articulate 
in just spelling out exactly what some of these issues are that we face coming out of evangelicalism, fundamentalist Christianity, or even sort of a cultic background, because there is an overlap, surely, isn't there? This is the thing I've discovered that in Christianity, there's a lot of cultic tactics, psychology. We have the same recovery process in many ways as people that have come out of high control religious groups. Uh, have you found that to be the case with some of your audience members in terms of their recovery on the back end? Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, look, there's probably one thing we hear repeated constantly from people who come in. We, you know, some pe- people come into our Facebook group and introduce themselves and they go, I thought I was alone. I actually, I I was going through this shit and I didn't know how to contextualize that. I didn't know how to place it. And I actually thought I was a little bit nuts and let's face it. We all, or were a little bit nuts. Um, but, true. you know, so because you tell people a lot about uh, the stuff that you went through that you believed and they go, how the fuck did you ever even believe that? And, no. it, you know, and that's the conclusion we've come to. It's gone, really? You know, we were, were operating and living within such a bubble that it was confirma- confirmation bias all the way, all the way, you know, and, and for us that's how we actually um, you know, constantly um, – I guess, affirmed what we believed. So we get all these people who are going, I just don't know if I believe it anymore or I've left and I'm lost and I don't know how to connect with people and they land with us. So friends recommend them and whatever and they they turn up and all of a sudden they've got a community, an online community. So I, I agree, it, the internet is a wonderful place it and really it probably... Yeah, it provides that platform where people can actually go, I feel connected, I feel valued. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm to use some big words. Are you ready? It democratizes voice Ooh. is what it does, right? True. I mean, I mean, which is funny because democ- democratizing means to give voice, but but that's what it does. And so it it's given us a platform, you know, and people can tune in or not tune in. And it's, you know, it's hard to sort of drum up an audience and get people sort of finding out about you and all that because we're not a corporation any more than you are, Clint. You know, we don't have that sort of marketing money behind us. But still, people do find out about it and... They come along for the journey, but that wasn't the intent. The intent was not to forge a community. The intent was not to necessarily, I mean, we wanted people to hear what we were saying and we wanted to, I think we were sort of dealing with our own shit. And then it mm. just sort of resonated with people. And next thing you know, it's it's where it is. And we've had, you know, the national broadcaster, the ABC, as opposed to the BBC where you are, do stories on us. We've had mm. uh, vice.com, the online publication, do stories on us. It's It's been growing. That's cool. Yeah, I was going back to something Brian said, you know, when we tell people about our experiences, one of the best pieces of advice I ever got was from a guy called John Atak, who lives over here. He's a British guy. He's, he lives in Nottingham. He's an ex-Scientologist. And he told me on an episode that we did, he said, what you need to do is explain to someone who has never been religious, who's never had any you know, experiences like what you you know, either grew up in or, or experienced in your religion or cult, whatever group you're in, explain to them your former beliefs. And as you're doing that, watch the look on their face very, very carefully. And that exact thing happened to me year, a couple of years ago. I was in Seattle where I grew up and I was driving with my friend. We had about a three hour drive who he's never had any sort of religious background. And we got into this conversation and I was explaining to him what I used to believe as a Christian. And I just sat there the look of just incredulous disbelief on his face. And he's like, you believed 
all of that. And I was like, yeah, I, I guess I did, you know, and I converted others and I was a pastor and I did all these things, you know, and I'm like, who is that? Who was that guy? You know, I don't even know who that guy was. So that, that's a very helpful exercise, I think, for people to, who are getting out. Yeah I, yeah, I saw that a couple of times with girls I was dating where I was trying to sort <laughs> yeah. of bring bring them in. And I remember there was this one girl and I I shared the gospel with her one day. And at the end, she she no shit, she just went, okay. You know, and that All was, righty then. The, the, yeah, right. There was no second date. There was no second date. Yeah. I remember once when I was probably 20, 20, 21, I went out on a date, same kind of thing with this girl I was really interested in. I was really attracted to. I was a Christian, a good evangelical. She wasn't. And in the car, in the parking lot or car park, as they say here, we sat there and I shared the gospel with her and said, basically, I'm sorry, I'm really attracted to you, but I can't date you because you're not a Christian. So that was the end of it. And she just (laughs) looked at me like, and I felt so vindicated, like, I've taken a stand here. This is the right thing. You know, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And I'm heading this thing off at the pass. I'm being so good. And yet now I look back on it and think, wow, that that's that's the hallmarks of a cult psychology thing, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, especially that you're parking in erogenous zones and you know, she's probably <laughs> sitting true. there saying, she's probably sitting there thinking, Well, that's great. Are we gonna make out now? And yeah. all of a sudden here comes this gospel message and she just yeah. kind of inched further and further away in the in the passenger seat till she was up against the door. You know, it's like she couldn't get out of there fast enough. It's like, what have I done? Who who is this person that's suddenly preaching at me? And we'd had a really good date, you know. And then all of a sudden, at the back end, here I am, laying the gospel message on her, and you feel so righteous about it, you know, taking a stand for what's right. And now I just cringe, look back on it. It's it's really weird, isn't it? Like uh, we've we've spoken a, a, a lot about this on our podcast. Troy and I are very different um, in that you know Troy is, Troy is still an evangelist in what he does for a job, mm-hmm. um, but uh, but I think he was always an evangelist. Like he, as soon as he hears something, he has to share that news with someone because you know it's the best thing and come on board. Mm-hmm. So he was an incredibly successful evangelist in the Christian space. I was always embarrassed. I was always ashamed. Something for me just never resonated. And I more so look back now and I go, how did I actually believe some of that stuff? And 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 how deeply I was trying to convince myself all the time that I believed it. I was really trying, you know, I've always been a spiritual person well before I, I didn't become a Christian in inverted commas till I was 17. Before that, I always, you know, I was always some, had some sort of spiritual awareness. So I, I think I was primed for it, but it never really resonated with me. I was constantly forcing myself. I was constantly trying to surround myself with others who knew this truth just to try, I guess, convince myself over and over and over and over. And like we spoke about on your and uh, part one of this, you know, it's like a, a constant um, recommitment. Because you go, okay, I'm going to believe it. I'm going to believe it. This time I'm actually going to be better at it. Mm-hmm. I think the word you used in that interview, Brian, was um, a reconvincing yourself yeah. over yeah. and over again. And I, I think I think that's what happens. I was blogging when I was deconstructing just somewhere to put my thoughts. And one of the things I remember saying in the blog was, um, I can't understand why people are fundamentalist Christians, even though I was one for half my life. Because mm. when you walk away, you sort of look back and go, what? What was that about? And you spent so much time, money, energy. And I think this is part of the rebuilding as well, that dealing with the anger 
there's a lot of resentment, a lot of anger. I mean, I spent God knows tens of thousands of dollars on you know seminary degrees. I got a PhD, and that was all part of going into ministry, teaching, being a pastor. And I, I, I don't use any of that now other than the stuff I do for the podcast. I, I use those research skills and I, I understand theology. I obviously can talk about the Bible. So that is beneficial on that level, but I don't use it for a vocation. It doesn't do me any good. And it did contribute in, in large part to the breakdown of my marriage. There was other issues going on there. And we, my ex and I have talked a lot about that, but all the years we spent as a pastor in religion and ministry, took a huge toll on our marriage, which ended up breaking down a couple of years ago. So, you know, you think, wow, here I am picking, sifting through the ashes of decades of serving God in air quotes, you know, for what, what do you get out of it? Nothing in the end. Do you think, um, you know, I mean, this is something that I've battled with. Maybe I'm trying to be Pollyanna. I'm not quite sure, but you know, some of those benefits that do come out of in terms of your character, when you can actually flip things around and you go, okay, I've, I've now learned critical thinking coming out the other side. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm a more confident speaker. I'm a little bit more articulate about things. Um, those sort of things. I, I mean, sometimes you've got to dig deep <laughs> to find those things that are it's a little true. bit, but, but, you know, I, but I agree like some of the, you know, even, you know, Troy, um, he studied a bit longer than I did at Bible college. We both went to Bible college, but I, you know, I, I, I it helped me to learn how to study. It helped yeah. me to learn how to actually be a bit more organized and methodical um, in my research. So for me, I think I did, I did pull some pos- positives from it. I don't like to see anything wasted in my life, um, yeah. but there's a large proportion of things that were a big fat waste of time though mm-hmm. in, in the Pentecostal scene. Well, and the money too. And I was talking to my friend Dean Crosets. Our our episode just came out a little bit ago. And we said, what what uh, positive elements can we pull out of this thing? And I, I rattled off, okay, I learned how to play the drums because I was playing Christian rock and metal bands and in church worship bands. I still play the drums now. Um, like you said, I was a pastor. I preached hundreds and thousands of sermons. So I'm very comfortable standing in front of a group of people. I'm, I have no problem standing in front of my, my learners, you know, teaching a class. I have research skills. Like you said, critical thinking skills. I can write well because I wrote academic papers, you know, and the list kind of goes on. And I think that's a, that's a good point, isn't it? That you have to pull out those positives. It wasn't a complete and utter waste. That's when you can start to go, okay, I can pull some good stuff out of this thing. And I can't be, I can't remain angry forever. I think you have to work through those phases. It's not healthy to stay there, is it? Oh, that's exactly right. Uh, I I did for the longest time, but you know, I, I I'm I take it easy on myself in that too because I think the process takes as long as the process takes. And so, you know, if people if people are angry, if people are upset, if people are you know, feeling a lot of, you know, even vindictiveness towards the groups that they're involved in. That's okay. You know, that's what they have to go through, but you're right. You can't stay there. And, and I do think that there are people that do stay there and they choose to stay there and they just, they're just hypercritical of, of Christianity and of Christian groups. And they refuse to see the good, even when it's there. Now, that being said, I'm not a Christian. I don't believe it. I, I wish I had never been a Christian, right? I'm, I'm still happy, happy to say that out loud. But at the same time, like Brian's saying, taking a positive stance and reducing that mental 
toxicity, you know, I think what, what's sometimes called, you know, a, a mental, a toxic mental space and getting mm. out of that. And that does take a choice um, eventually. But I, I want to really stress that I say that with compassion, that it's everybody's own journey and they have to, they have to process it in their own way in their own time. But mm-hmm. I think if you, if, if you can come to a place where it is a choice, choose to, choose to be positive, choose to, to let it go. Choose mm-hmm. to forgive. Choose to forgive even. Choose life. Choose life. Choose life. Someone else has used that before, I think. Yeah. <laughs> you can't as, rip that off, yeah. right? <laughs> as, as, Wham, as Wham wore on their T-shirts. Oh, yeah. Wake me up George before Michael. you go-go. Yeah, wake me up before you go-go. Video clip. Choose life. We're not going to use it from like an evangelical pro-life stance, you know. I used to wear all those shirts. My ex, she was involved in. You know, well, I wouldn't say anti-abortion ministries in the states, but she was a she was a post-abortion evangelical counselor in that sort of ministry sphere, which is part of the pro-life movement, obviously, because they they would have wanted to talk pregnant young girls and women out of having an abortion, but they did it in a more quote-unquote compassionate way. They weren't out picketing abortion clinics and all that kind of thing and killing abortion doctors, you know. So, but it was part of that sphere. But yeah. Choose life. I, I think you're absolutely right. You have to look at some of the positives. Well, now going back though, we didn't, we kind of glossed over your story because you think about Australia, the biggest story that's come out in the last, I don't know how many years is of course the Hill songs thing. Uh, obviously I'm sure you've seen the, the discovery plus documentary series about Hill song, Brian Houston. That's the big, and, and I guess recently they've just launched an investigation into their finances. Have you seen that story? Someone in our yeah, yeah, that, yeah, she's that from just Australia. broke yesterday. Yeah. yeah, she she posted there's an ABC, the Australian Broadcasting. They they've put a story out about how now their finances are being investigated. Were you guys affiliated with Hill Songs at all? Was that part of your backstory? Yeah, well, we were in the sense that we were involved in the Assemblies of God in Australia, which is where Hillsong came from. Mm-hmm. So Brian Houston, once upon a time, was the, uh, what do they call it? Gen- not general secretary. Superintendent. Superintendent. Mm-hmm. That's right. Superintendent. He was the superintendent of the Australian Assemblies of God. And that's where we were involved. So we we don't name our church for trying to avoid um, legal you know, reasons. Yeah, exactly right. So um, we we don't name it. We call it Great Big AOG. Um, but anyone who wants to really listen and try and work it out, perhaps on some level they could one day. But um, oh, that's probably something I shouldn't say from a legal standpoint. But anyway. You just opened we, yourself up, Troy. I did. I did, didn't legal I? Legal exposure so, so, coming in. Yeah, but it's but it's on your podcast. And so oh, you know, shit. Hopefully, hopefully, so we're all going down to together. It. Is that what yeah. you're saying? But um, we, we, yeah, we were involved. And so really the whole Hillsong thing came from what's called Youth Alive. And Youth Alive was the youth movement of the Australian Assemblies of God. And so, you know, I can remember when Brian Houston was the leader of the New South Wales Assemblies of God. He was the superintendent of, of that group first. Um, and I used to go and see him at, you know, Bible college. Uh, we, we would go to, to, yeah, to the conferences. Yeah. Conferences. That's what I'm looking for. We would go to these conferences and we would hear him speak. Um, you know, Brian, Brian here on this call can tell you about the times that he was catching up with Brian Houston in airports, you know, so we were there and later Mm. on Hillsong broke away from the AOG long after we had left. Um, So I like to say that we are proto Hillsong rather than Hillsong. Mm. 
Yeah, a little bit of name dropping, I guess, doesn't hurt, Brian. Yeah, absolutely. Although, uh, I don't know if you want to drop that name, Brian Houston, unless you're dishing some dirt on him. But that's all come yeah. out, isn't it? Or it's coming out. Of course, his dad was part of the original thing. I think, didn't he? His dad started out in New Zealand. Was it Frank Houston? And then moved yeah. to Australia. And then a bunch of things have come out that Brian Houston knew that his father was abusing young people, children, covered young it boys. up. Young boys. Yeah, covered it up. Uh, and after his father died, a lot of this started to come out, you know, which is a pattern, unfortunately. And, and I mean, we saw the Southern Baptist thing is going on. The Department of Justice, they've just announced they're going to start investigating the Southern Baptist Convention. Just the other day, I saw an article. So things are starting to happen, I think. Yeah, I think they are. Look, it, it was really, it was a messy time and it, it shook the whole Pentecostal scene when the whole Frank Houston thing blew up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we've spoken about this a bit on our pod like it's and we don't we're certainly not being empathetic towards Brian Houston and his approach but we we try and I guess identify how difficult would it be knowing your father has abused children and Mm. you you know what do you do with that how incredibly difficult is that to deal with? And you can you can sort of understand the turmoil, but he didn't make the right decision. Yeah, the right decision is to to go this needs to go to the, the proper authorities because the incredible amount of damage that this has caused people. Um, and, you know, this this guy is one of the highest guys up in the, the Pentecostal church in Australia, the damage it does to the church. So if they're talking about brand and protecting the brand, well, they're completely fucked up. Mm-hmm. Um, they've they've really destroyed that. So I think it's it's been incredibly messy. And, you know, by all accounts, there's a lot of stuff coming out about Brian Houston and, um, you know, his reliance on alcohol and drugs and stuff to get through to be able to deal with all of the stuff that happened. And the, the fact is Hillsong is a beast. Um, it's a it's, mega empire. Absolutely. It's yeah. on six continents. And I'm surprised yeah. that they're actually not in Antarctica, to be honest. So <laughs> it's, you know, they would have. Coming think, soon. <laughs> yeah, church that's plan. right. They're looking for two guys just like you <laughs> to plant a church there. It'll be seasonal. Only oh, right. Okay. But yeah, yeah. But, and, you know, it's it's that sort of thing that it's just, it has become an enormous beast. And people, when we have been critical of it, you know, people have said, oh, but you know, it does some good things. Absolutely. So do the most evil corporations on earth. But mm-hmm. it doesn't excuse the fact of the incredible damage that it does to people and the legacy that, that, that leads for generations to come where it has destroyed people and destroyed families. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the other thing to remember too, is that, you know, these guys were hugely influential into people's lives. You know, like when we think about back to, back to Frank Houston, for example, I can remember when he walked past me um, one day and, you know, reached out and grabbed my hand and I thought, oh man of God, you know, he's touching That's me, man. anointing and everything. And then later when it came out, what he was actually like. I looked really young. And when that happened, I looked back and went, oh, you know, and so. Completely different interpretation of that event. Exactly right. Exactly right. And so, you know, the, and, and it's the same with, you know, with Brian Houston and, and people that have, you know, and look, let's say Kenneth Copeland and all these others, you know, people see this public persona and, you know, they get, they get right into it. And then when the dirt comes out later on, you know, for example, 
you know, you're, you're, you're milking, what, what was, what's that we saw? How do, how do you milk goats? And it was a, an offering plate, you know, whatever it is that they're doing, <laughs> whether it's the, the girls, the gold and the glory, people get really damaged after the fact. And so that's when you look back and like you just said, you reinterpret the events and go, oh, okay. It was always there. We're going to come right back in a few minutes with the second half of this conversation with Troy and Brian from the I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist podcast. And by the way, if you're wondering why the title of this episode says Theological Jenga Part 2, that is because we did Part 1 on their platform. So if you want to listen to that conversation, it's more about my story, but we had an absolutely fantastic conversation. That is on their show, and I've got the link for that in the show notes. So we are doing now Part 2 with Brian and Troy, we're going to get into more of their story in the second half as well. And so in the second half of the chat, I want to explore with them some more of this issue of what's going on down there in Australia. How does it mirror what I've been studying in the United States in terms of Dominion theology, the reach of sort of Christianity in the American context? And of course, it does have a global spread. And so we're going to talk about that. We're also going to get into the issue of recovering from the harmful effects of religion. I want to find out what resources they have to offer, what things have they used in order to recover from such things as religious trauma syndrome. These are things that I've been working through for many years too, and we're going to recommend some resources and talk about how you can get the help that you might need if, like us, you're coming out of religion, coming out of a cult background, and you're struggling with sort of reclaiming your authentic self What does all that mean? We're going to talk about that in the second half. I wanted to bring you up to speed, though, on some of the stuff that's coming up here in the next few episodes on MindShift Podcast. I've got an episode with Luna Corbden. We had a conversation a while ago talking about Luna's upbringing in the Mormon church and their path away from that religion, how to rebuild your life. Again, similar to what I've talked about with these guys, but specifically in the LDS context, Then I've got this chat, I've been promising it for a long time, with Kerry Noble. And of course, he was a former member of the CSA back in the 70s and 80s, the Covenant Sword and Arm of the Lord, one of the forerunners to some of the groups that we're seeing now in the United States, these white supremacist militia groups, and they were one of the forerunners of that movement. So he's got an absolutely fascinating story of how he got sucked up into that, which essentially becomes a cult. And so we're going to talk about not only how he got out, but what he's doing now to help other people get out of that sort of alt-right, far-right movement. And we can see that really this is a relevant conversation because, of course, what we have seen not only in the Trump era, but in the post-Trump era, there's an increasing marriage between the Christian right and the alt-right, these white militia supremacist groups merging themselves with the Christian right. So Carrie's got a lot to say about that as well. And then I've got a conversation book with a returning guest, Dr. David DeAndre. He's recently come out with a book called Tulip, the Poisonous Flower of Calvinism. And he's done a deep dive into the damaging effects of this doctrine of Calvinism. And I'm really fascinated to talk to David again and catch up, see what he's doing since we had him on the show a few months ago. And then too, I wanted to mention, I've been working my way through Dave Warnock's new book, which is called Childish Things. In fact, I've been going through the Audible version, which is really fascinating because Dave himself reads that book. He narrates it and it's all about his story, how he was a diehard, charismatic Christian for many years and then was a pastor. And I'm at the point now where he's walking away from it all and questioning and deconstructing his faith. I would highly recommend this book. So I'm hoping to have Dave back on the show to talk about his book, Childish Things. So 
we're going to hopefully book him in at some point here coming up. And then, of course, we're going to be doing our MindShift Zoom calls coming up again in September, beginning in that month. We're going to be having some people back on that were former guests of the show. So look for those as well. You can gain access to those by being a Patreon supporter of the show. So if you want to find out more about that, the links, as always, are in the show notes. And then one last thing I want to mention, this is going to be really short notice, but this Sunday, as I'm doing this recording now, on the 21st of August, I'm going to be doing another presentation for the Atheists of Florida. This time I'm doing one on the world of the cults, and I'm calling this episode Poison Punch and Purple Shrouds Inside the World of Cult Psychology and Tactics. So look for the links. If you look on the Atheists of Florida website, you'll see a calendar and you'll see that event. It's scheduled for 3 p.m. Eastern Time, Sunday the 21st. So you've got time still after this episode drops to go find the link for that on the Atheists of Florida website. So we're going to be talking about cults. Anyway, let's get on back into the second half of this conversation. This is really a bonus episode with Troy and Brian from the I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist. We're going to explain what does it mean to be playing theological Jenga. Yeah, and it's it's a culture, a patriarchal culture, isn't it? And that that's a pattern that we see right across. As we were talking about the Southern Baptist Convention, I've been doing a lot of research on a guy named Doug Wilson, and he's out of Moscow, Idaho, which is up in the northwest of the United States, and he's got a basically a cult empire. They're taking over this town, this city, and he's got a huge reach. He's started Christian schools, homeschooling movement. He's got a publishing arm. He's got, you know, YouTube videos. He's all over the place. He's training up the next sort of generation of young men who are getting involved in the manosphere. I don't know if you know anything about that, the incel community, and they're promoting this biblical patriarchy model in that sort of context. It's just some really toxic stuff going on. And there's been a lot of abuse stories that have come out about young girls, young boys in that homeschooling, Christian schooling environment. And I read an article and it said that patriarchal culture creates a, a, an environment in which uh, abuse is rife and, and they know they can get away with it. So even in the case of the Hillsongs, you know, Carl Lentz and, and other people like that, they're in the system. They're celebrities. They're mega stars. And they, they were treated like VI, they were VIPs. And look what Carl Lentz did. Look what Brian Houston did. The story is just repeats over and over and over. It's a toxic system in many ways, I think. Yeah, agreed. I mean, look at Bethel Church, right? Bethel Church in, where are they? Redding, California? Redding, California, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the same sort of thing. Here they are basically taking over a town. Mm-hmm. Um, kids, kid, and they are kids, a lot of them come along and do their school of supernatural ministry, etc. You know, people are being pushed out of hospitals because they're coming into hospitals and trying to pray over people. And, you know, there's just no sense of boundaries. They've got, they had a, a mayor of Reading, which was actually, who was actually a part of the, the, the church. It's just, you know, I mean, it's, it's more than cultic, but what's happening here in Australia is that these churches, whether it's Hillsong or whether it's Bethel, are looked on as these are models that work. And so they emulate it and they emulate it on a micro level with an attempt to, you know, to do exactly what they're doing. And I was listening to a podcast the other day about um, a rise church in New Zealand who have just basically completely 
imitated the Hillsong model to the point that they've got a church of 10,000. And now they've started coming up against abuse issues, these patriarchal issues that Mm -hmm. you're talking about, uh, financial misappropriation, all this kind of stuff is happening. So, you know, I think the model that they have taken because it works and air quotes, souls are being saved. People don't, people don't question it. It's like, this is the way we do it. This is the way church is. And and now it's just, it's happening all over the world. It's not just Hillsong. It's not just Bethel. Mm-hmm. It's it's quite different in Australia. Like, it's interesting. We we quite often reflect on this, even though that we have had a Pentecostal prime minister recently, and there certainly is these, these mega churches. We weren't founded as a Christian nation. We were founded as a penal colony for somewhere for England to send their convicts. convicts. So we have, and we're a very young nation, you know, we're 240, 250 years old. Um, So for us, it it is quite different, but you do definitely see these mega churches and um, that corporate influence that they do have trying to push against politics, trying to push against society, um, spreading misinformation during the COVID pandemic. You know, a lot of that stuff to undermine and try and get in. But I really don't think, and I, I and I hope um, that it doesn't get to this, but I don't think that they can actually get the influence they have in, like they do in places like the US, where mm. it's definitely a lot more Christianized and seen as a Christian nation and the, the incredibly damaging effects that, that you're seeing there. But Australia mm. is different. It, it is a very, very different culture. And we just don't have the numbers. We don't have the evangelical numbers here. You know, it's not like the US where it's, you know, whole swathes of, you know, voters, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. It just doesn't exist here. Well, I saw a statistic the other day from Australia and they've been tracking data since about the 1950s, early 1960s. And it was like two lines in about 1950, 1960s, some 90% of Australians identified as Christians on some level. And then the, the top line goes down and down and down and down and down. And on the bottom, there's another line, the, the sort of the nuns, no religious affiliation. That was almost zero in 1950. But it's come up and they've almost met in the middle at about 50%. So one's going up, the other one's going down. Christianity's going down. So in Australia, that I thought that was an encouraging sign, actually, that less and less people are identifying as Christian. At the same time, more and more people are identifying as having no religious affiliation whatsoever. Yeah, t- definitely. It's it's something more important. And we, we do our census every five years. Um, and I certainly have the last three census I've put non-religious on there. And, and I know that certainly is a, a growing movement, which is happening here. But Australians, um, they're quite often they'll just tell you to fuck off. Like if, if they don't want to hear you, they'll go, I just don't want to hear your shit. And um, it, it's really interesting. And like, I think it's probably uh, a similar culture to the UK where you're based. Um, obviously yeah. we, you know, we, we lean on them for a lot of our humor um, and a little bit of a, a laid back culture, but we mm. do, we, we don't, I, I think one thing Australians pride themselves on is they, they will often say, I'm not going to take your shit. Um, and that, that, <laughs> I don't want to hear it. I don't, I don't want to hear it. Um, yeah. And they'll be quite upfront about it. So it's it's refreshing. And I think that's where it's coming from. And, and 
certainly churches would see it as an attack on them that people are identifying as non-religious, but I, I think it's people are just being given license to actually identify as non-religious before there was a, you were a cultural Catholic or you're a cultural Christian. I mean, you were brought up, my family would identify quite often as, as Catholics. Um, mm-hmm. I'd never been to church in my life before I was 17. So it it's that sort of thing where people do identify with it. Now people go, well, I actually don't have to identify with that. There's other ways to identify mm. and I'm happy to tick non-religious. You're right. Here in the UK, it's such a different context. Every time I go back to the States, I'm just sort of slapped in the face. There's a church almost on every street corner. I've, I've told this story before. I was doing a job just south of Seattle a few years ago. And I, I started noticing, my God, it's about a 15-minute drive to this job I was doing. And I'm, I'm, there's churches everywhere. So one morning, I thought, I'm just going to count how many churches I passed between here and this. I was doing a bathroom remodel for this client. And I think I counted something like 15 or 16 churches in the, the 12 to 15-minute drive just through this particular city. And I was like, I have at home, I drive an hour to get to work from North Wales to where I work at a college. And I think I'm, I may pass one or two churches and they're old, you know, Welsh chapels or Anglican churches or something like that. There's certainly not 15 to 20 churches on my commute for of an hour. And that just strikes me that, yeah, the, the United States context is so radically different than I'm sure as Australia, as well as the UK. For sure. Yeah, it is. It, it's quite, although, you know, there's a lot of churches here, but again, they're, mm a lot of traditional type churches and a lot of Pentecostal churches here, um, particularly smaller churches operate out of schools or town halls or something like that. Um, even when they grow, they they tend to operate out of those sort of big venues. But mm-hmm. eventually some of them do outgrow them and they have to get a, a big venue like Hillsong. And Hillsong. Um, yeah, Christian City is another big one here. Mm-hmm. So there's there are definitely quite a few, but no, different context. Yeah, I was going to say too. There was a. It's it's very rare to have sort of the fundamentalist Christians in this country. We had a guy a couple of years ago because I work. It's just just a college, and I teach construction skills and things like that. And we had a guy who was an agency staff, and he came in just. It was like a temp, basically filling in. And it turned out that some of the learners were complaining that he was pulling students aside and telling them that all homosexuals were going to go to hell. Any woman who was not a virgin when they got married was going to go to hell. And some of the students complained to my boss. They're like, you know, this guy's really disturbing. He's saying some very homophobic and and other things like that. So my boss pulled him into the office and basically just said, look, you can't talk like that in in a context like a, a workshop or a classroom. This guy blew up, told my boss that he was going to hell said, you know, someday when I get to have, when you get to heaven, you're standing before God, I'm going to be standing on God's right side. And I'm going to say that guy there needs to go to hell. He needs an extra hot spot in hell. And I'll be telling God what to do, you know? And a few minutes after the guy, he left, he obviously said, you're not working here anymore. And my boss came into the office and he, he sought me out because he said, what the hell you used to be in this? What, can you explain to me what just happened? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and He told me all about it. I said, oh yeah, he's a fundamentalist. And this is why he said what he did. And I, I get it, you know, and I kind of interpreted it for him and everybody in the office was just like, what? Cause that's so rare. But in America, I guess that, that kind of thing happens all the time. 
Look, look, it happens here too. I, I was a primary school teacher or elementary school teacher for a long time. And for a little while I was working in a school here in, here in Australia. And there was a guy who I can't remember exactly how I found out, but it turned out he was a Pentecostal and he knew a lot of the people that I knew. Um, and I wasn't going to you know, come down on him or anything like that or challenge him, et cetera. But then one day I walked into a, it was a, an office area and he had a young child there and he was sitting with the child and he was talking with him and I, he, I, he didn't realize I was, I was there. And I heard him say, quote, well, if evolution is true, why aren't the monkeys turning into people now? And then I walked in and I said, well, actually, I'll just call him John. That wasn't his name. But I said, actually, John, that's not how evolution works. What it is, John, is that we have a common ancestor to to the to the chimps, etc. And it's not that they're going to evolve into people. They could possibly evolve into something else. And also it's a very slow process. And I just looked at him and he looked at me because he shouldn't be having that conversation with that no. kid. Totally at all. He's, yeah. He's not even a teacher. And um, I just left it at that, just thinking, okay, but obviously he sees that as his mission field. He's Absolutely. getting moments where he can talk to these kids and try and challenge what they're learning in science and this kind of thing. And that certainly went on, mm. you know, within the last five years here in, right. here in Australia. Well, and one of your biggest exports aside from Hillsong is Ken Ham. Here's another Australian <laughs> who's made it big in the United States. He's built an ark in Louisville, I think, Kentucky or somewhere like that, yep. the Ark Experience, Answers in Genesis. He's one of the biggest sort of supporters of that creationist worldview, battling against evolution. So you've got another Australian who's, you know, one of the major, major influencers. And you would you would certainly find that I would say 99.9% of Australians wouldn't know who he is. <laughs> and he's huge in America, isn't he? Because he's all over the place. The, the evangelicals love the Ark Experience, you know going in there and oh my god this must have been what it was like all the animals saved and that's why we are you know why humans are alive today and everything else and you think my god it's funny because there's a lot of youtube videos that people have atheists have gone through the ark experience and just sort of debunked each section of it as they go through i don't know if you've ever seen that but eventually they've gotten some of them gotten kicked out They're like you can't be coming in here filming this stuff you know debunking the ark experience is all it's all true it all happened historically he was big here, I think, in the late 90s, early noughties, probably through the earlier 90s as well. And I remember a few friends. In church. Were... He was big in church. Right, right. Oh, yeah, not in, yeah, not in the mainstream. general public. Yeah. Oh, general public would have laughed. But but he, I remember him causing quite a bit of friction within churches as well because there were people that were in his camp, 6,000-year-old earth. Um, there was this mm-hmm. boat, whacked all the animals on it and things dried up and the animals walked off and here we all go but there were there was quite a few people that were maybe not even you know fully blown ev- evolutionists but going yeah i just don't think that story quite resonates and it was it was interesting i, I remember several friends actually um being at at odds with that um so it did cause friction but even again it's like all the other stuff i look back on it and go really that was even mm. a conversation that mattered back exactly. then. <laughs> yeah, there were, there were guys at there were guys at Bible college when we did um, this sort of you know whole whole young Earth creation versus evolution. I think was actually the name of the subject, um, and we we pushed back at the time because even though we believed in creation, we didn't think that this sort of hyper fundamentalist 
you know, uh, answers in Genesis thing was really where we sat even then. And we didn't even really know where we sat, but it certainly wasn't there. Hmm. Yeah. And that's the problem. It's, it's defending a literalist hermeneutic of the Bible. That's I think where the root of the whole thing comes from, because I was mentioning that guy, Doug Wilson, that cult leader out of Moscow, Idaho, and he wrote a book several years ago, back about 1994 called Southern slavery as it was. And it was essentially a full-throated defense of slavery in the South of America in the 18th to 19th century. And when you drill down into it, the argument actually is, well, the Bible allows for slavery in the Old Testament, and Paul never condemns it in the New Testament. Jesus never condemned it in the New Testament. And therefore, we can't allow anyone to attack the Bible. So we must have to defend slavery on that ground. And that's that's essentially the same argument that a guy like Ken Ham has, I think. It's you interpret the Bible literally, you add up all the genealogies, and you arrive at a six to 10,000-year-old earth. It's infallible. It's, in, it's inspired. It's authoritative. The Bible cannot have any issues with it in terms of like contradictions or anything like that. So their whole faith could crumble if anything were disproven. So I'm assuming this guy defended infanticide as well. And so it was fine to just go around and just kill heaps of young kids. Dash so their heads against yeah. the stones. Dash their heads yeah. against the stones. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's the issue. You, they have to come up with what's called a theodicy, don't they? A defense of God. They have to let him off the hook somehow in those passages in the Old Testament where he commands the Israelites to commit genocide. Mm. And you think that that would be obviously a war crime today. That would be a crime against humanity if it was a modern nation. But yet somehow that's okay. That's the same God that these Christians are worshiping in church. I think we talked about this on here on the first half. You know, I, I, I couldn't do that cognitive dissonance any longer sitting in church, but knowing these passages in the Old Testament that seemingly have no answer what do you do with them? You just have to ignore them or, or defend them somehow because you have to. Yeah. And look, it's interesting how much of a an emotive space this is. I mean, I mm. listen to quite a few podcasts around, you know, my, my professional background as a, a social worker, therapist, um, and I'll, I'll listen to, to podcasts around that sort of stuff, around business type stuff. And if I don't agree with what someone believes... I'll just go, oh, yeah, whatever, that's a crock of shit. Mm -hmm. um, but we speak about what we speak about and people feel that they have license to, to tell us why we're wrong, to really defend their space, to come in and go, you guys, how dare you even say that? <laughs> um, because you are really um, attacking their core. So yeah. it's, it's an incredibly emotive space. And we have this... Often, um, you know, we we have had someone, we, we spoke out about the anti-vax movement uh, on the pod and we had someone who wrote to us and said, I, I liked it and I listened to you guys until I got to an episode where you were cr critical. Yeah, I'm not, not going to listen to you anymore. That was me yeah. done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but, but yeah. it's just it's just hilarious. It's like, well, <laughs> our pod is not about vaccinations, right? And you can, you can disagree, you can be wrong, that's fine. But, you know, like I'm not going to listen to you anymore. And it's like, so you're still a fundamentalist basically, mm -hmm. but your, your fundamentalism has shifted from religion to vaccinations and we're not, you know, 
tying our our wagon to whatever it is that you're on. And so you, you're going to switch off from, I mean, that's what we did when we we're in church, right? Oh, you know, I'm not going to listen to, you know, Philip Yancey anymore because he's too liberal, or I'm not going to read Marcus Borg because he's mm-hmm. too liberal, or I'm, you know, I'm not going to watch Kirk Cameron because, you know, he holds a banana funny, like whatever it is, <laughs> you know, like, but people switch off. It's all about this demand for purity, I think, as uh, Robert Lifton called it. And it's this mm-hmm. constant, you know, like, like Brian was saying before, it's this constant reconvincing yourself and constantly coming back and recommitting. And, uh, you know, I mean, that's why you've got, you know, in some towns in the States, you've got the first Baptist church and the second Baptist church, and they have nothing to do with each other. Yeah, It's crazy. They fell out and had a doctrinal dispute. Well, a lot of the disputes aren't even doctrinal. They're like over the color of the carpet that was going to be put in the, the sanctuary. And half the church disagreed, and they split and went and formed their own their own church across the street. And you, and know? you know why that is, Clint? It's because you shall know them by their love. Oh yes, that's <laughs> yeah. right. Mm. Well, how <laughs> fucked? How fucked must they be? Because purple was obvious. Uh, on uh, sorry, it was often seen <laughs> as a holy color. Purple. Yes. So all these churches have got purple carpet, and now it's a universal color of. Homosexuality. Mm. I mean, how LBT, what are they doing? LGBTQ. Oh, yeah. What's terrible? Let's tear up that carpet. Absolutely. It's got to go. Yeah. Well, <laughs> God's going to have to be rolling back the um, the, the rainbow, right? Because <laughs> sure, of, the ark and everything. Because that's 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 the yeah, that's our symbol. Now. How dare they use that? Well, that you mentioned, Troy. I know we're kind of winding it up here, but you were talking about Robert Lifton. Of course, the other category, sacred science, which is what we've been talking about. The Bible, it, it's unassailable. It cannot be seen to have any cracks, any any issues in it. And so they'll go to ludicrous links to defend it. And you you cannot allow a single crack. And I think you mentioned, Brian, that your faith was like a house of cards, wasn't it? And I've used yeah. that metaphor before, where if you start pulling out too many cards in the deconstruction process, the whole thing eventually collapses. What have you found that's been the most beneficial things to rebuild after you've left? We've kind of touched on this a little bit, but what have you found to be sort of more beneficial things? Have you done therapy and counseling and all that kind of thing as well? I haven't gone and done any official counseling or therapy, I guess, but um, certainly doing this podcast has been therapeutic. It's it's an incredibly cathartic experience. Like, And there's been a lot of times where we've spoken and we've had to ring each other and debrief afterwards and go, I didn't even know that shit was there. Um, but we just counseled each other for an hour yeah. on an episode. And, yep. you know, I, I think it's incredibly powerful. And we get that feedback all the time. Like on a weekly basis, we get people going, I have just felt the therapy of just listening to this, identifying, being able to know that I'm I'm not crazy um, and then mm. what I went through was shared by many other people. Um, I, I think for me, my deconstruction started when I started to study more, um, you know, in, in my university degree and, and identifying more with social justice, identifying more with um, humanism. And so I think I've found a lot of comfort in that. And as I've deconstructed, that's certainly the reconstruction part of it has been from a humanistic framework um definitely from a social justice framework and uh, i think for me that's where i sit and it's i find comfort in that but one of the things that we often reflect that we missed was community you know church provided you with such a deep sense of community belonging sameness um and you really miss that 
so finding that again i mean i'm i'm quite fortunate i've got um you know a good community around me and whether that's online communities or whether it's actual communities that is as close by to me with friends at work friends outside of work i've got that and i'm incredibly fortunate and that's a place that I, that brings me comfort it's a place that brings me a sense of belonging and knowing that i am valued by others and i don't have to do that within a church I don't have to actually, I can be me. I don't have to actually be someone else that within that church, you'll only be accepted. You'll only be accepted if you fit a specific mold. I can be me. I can be accepted by others for who I am, for for where I'm at and who I may become because mm. this evolution of me has not finished. That's right. We're on a journey for sure. What about you, Troy? What have you found to be some of the beneficial aspects? Well, I, I have had therapy. I've had quite a bit of therapy. I can remember the first time I approached a psychiatrist to talk about what I was going through. He had really no idea about how to deal with, with me. And I remember him saying to me, uh, well, you know, why would God, and, and just sort of throwing out the sort of typical sort of atheist ideas and stuff, uh, which I just wasn't ready to take, you know? So mm -hmm. for me, my deconstruction was yeah, a long time ago, right? Like 20, 20 years ago really is when I sort of started. And there was no, the word deconstruction didn't exist. The word exvangelical didn't exist. None of it was around. And so I remember there was the infidels website that I got right into. And I started reading a lot of that kind of stuff. There was a guy by the name of Robert Price who was doing podcasts and he was a former member of the Jesus seminar and he had journeyed from hardcore evangelicalism to atheism, but he'd written a lot. And so I was able to go back and sort of read his stuff in stages as I, as I sort of needed to. Um, there, was, there were websites back then that were sort of bulletin board style things. And so people were becoming, you know, Wiccans and people were becoming atheists and people were becoming more moderate Christians and stuff. And I, I was able to connect with that, but I always remember feeling that people were arriving at places and I, that I didn't want to go. And I was, I was kind of freaked out, but eventually, you know, unlike you guys who sort of consciously pulled these cards out and, you know, and playing, you know, theological Jenga, I, I was doing that, but I wasn't admitting it to myself. And I kind of had a breakdown, you know, mm. is what happened to me in the end, you know, because I, the, the cognitive dissonance, the, the mm. willingness to actually admit um, that, that I was not believing anymore was just too much. It was just too far. And I remember reaching out to Robert Price about the fear of hell via email mm. and he was That's great. Yeah. And, and he wrote back to me and he said, listen, he said, you know, God's not fooled. He said, I'm not saying God exists, but if he does, he's not fooled. And so you're running from yourself is not going to trick God. So if you don't believe it, you have to admit to yourself that you don't believe it. And he talked to me about, remember the four spiritual laws that tract we used to hand mm -hmm. out about putting the um, faith before feelings. And he said, you've got to do that. He said, you've got to put feelings at the back of the train. And, and he, he talked to me of the four spiritual laws, which was just so clever because I know mm. the four spiritual laws, man. I used to hand that track down. Oh yeah. And, and he was like, and all that. yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was like, this is the, 
this is the spiritual journey that even the Christians would say you need to do. And he said, I'm saying the same thing to you, man. He said, put, you know, it was amazing. It was, Mm -hmm. he really spoke to me. And it was just after that, that I could actually say out loud, I don't believe anymore. I don't believe in Christ. I think, you know, if Jesus did exist, he's probably, well, not probably he's dead in a hole somewhere in, in Palestine, you know, and saying that out loud was so scary, but at the same time, it was, it was a turning point for me, you know? And so I went through that hardcore atheist militant, you know, and, and I was a fundamentalist atheist for a while. And someone called me out on that as well. Yeah, man, it was, it was a journey and you know, what, what worked for me, what didn't work for me. I, it was, it was hard. It was hard to, to find that because there was not the structure that there is now. Now, there's podcasts, you know, we talked about the democratizing voice. Now there's Twitter. Now there's, there's so much more. Mm-hmm. And so I, I would suggest to people to read. I mean, that was me, you know, that may not be everyone, but I just, I just consumed everything by Bart Ehrman and everything by the infidels websites. And, you know, even if I didn't agree with it at the end of it, at least now I could understand the arguments, etc. Mm-hmm. So I probably waffled, but, but that was, that was my journey. But it was good though. I, I agree. I've had therapy and counseling. In fact, I'm just going through some things now some stuff's happened at work and I've sought out well, well-being through, through work. At the same time, I'm going through Vander Kolk's book, The Body Keeps the Score, which has brought up a lot of stuff around religious trauma syndrome. And he recommends things like EMDR, internal mm-hmm. family systems. I've talked to therapists who deal with people with religious trauma syndrome. You know, so that's another element I think that a lot of us have to deal with on some, some level is that we have religious trauma syndrome. We have things that we, the baggage from our past, we can be triggered. So there, there are ways that people can get help for those. Tra- it's PTSD essentially, isn't it? We're carrying a lot of baggage from, especially if you were raised in it, like I was from day one, I, I had rapture anxiety. I had all kinds of things like that when I was a kid. And these things can trigger you as an adult, just like a combat veteran could be triggered by something, you know, 20, 30 years later, You've got to have ways to offload that trauma. So some people may need to seek out therapy or at the very least read books like that. And uh, you can find help, I think, for sure. I agree, Clint. And I think it's really important to note that as much as there is the trauma from the religion, and like you just talked about rapture anxiety, I didn't even realize it had a name, but totally. Oh, I'd, plane, I, I'd hear planes flying over because our, our church was all about nuclear war before the return of Christ. And I'd hear planes flying over and think, is this it? Is this it? But um, no, I, I think what's really important to note is that the trauma is not just from what happened in the religion. The actual deconstruction process itself can be extremely traumatic, especially when you're dealing with fear. And so I think that's something to really point out to people that this process that you're in now can be traumatic. It's not just about what you brought with you from church. It's true. Well, last question. I know we're kind of getting ready to wrap it up. Where can people find you? Obviously, they're going to listen to the first half of our conversation on I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist podcast. But in terms of social media, where's the best place to find the two of you? We're on Facebook is our main community, um, which obviously is reflective of our age because you won't find too many young people on Facebook. Um, But if you search for I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist, um, you'll find the the webpage, but also there's a listener community as well. So there's there's two sites that you can land on Twitter, at Was Teenage. Um, What are we on Instagram? I can't remember, but if you search... If you search for I was a teenage fundamentalist, we'll turn up on Instagram, but we're also on, we've got a Reddit subgroup as well. So you can find us on there too. Right. But so also ways to get a hold of you. 
There is. And and if, you know, on any of your good podcast platforms or ones that aren't good, still search. Um, <laughs> I was a teenage fundamentalist and, and you'll find us. So, um, you know, we're 60 odd episodes in our back catalogue. That's you will, you will uh, definitely, as we reflected before, you'll hear our first ones and go, these are a little bit shit, but um, it's where our story sits and it's where people can actually pick up and understand who we are, where we came from. It's and true, actually, right? actually, Brian, episode number 60 is with Clint Haycock of the Ooh. Mind Shift podcast. So you, you hit us number 60, Clint. I'm number 60. I'm, yeah, one of the best ones we've done, I think. Well, that's true. The podcast is something Dan Carlin of Hardcore History. He said, a podcast has to become what it becomes. And I, I started out, I was called the Preacher's Forum podcast. I was in my last gasp of progressive Christianity about five, six years ago. And it was a long journey to become the Mindship podcast. Someone said, you're deconstructing on air. That's what you're doing over the course of these episodes and years of doing it. And it was, like you said, therapy for me as well. So it, it has to become what it becomes. You find your audience and then that's all part of the journey, isn't it? It is. And it's so powerful, you know, And it, but it's also it's such a privilege um, and very scary too, to share your innermost thoughts uh, with your audience. And uh, it's one thing I reflect, you know, some of the things that we've spoken about in the podcast, my partner, she's listened to the podcast and they're things that I haven't told her. They're things that I haven't spoken because, you know, there's a bit of shame in there. There's a bit of shame <laughs> about right. what I believed. But, you know, here we, we invite thousands of people to to listen to our story and identify with it, and it's powerful. And and That's I think it is, it is a privilege. It is do, a privilege. Do you, do you dance around in your lounge room now, Brian, now that she knows singing Joy is a Flag Flown High from the Castle of My Heart? <laughs> I, I do, and uh, I play the bongos. Uh, yeah, as long as you have your clothes on, that's all, that's all we care about. Don't no, I'm sorry. Did, I, did, did I not make that clear? Yeah. Oh, yeah. right. Yeah. It's a naked. naked. Oh, right. Yeah, it has yeah, to yeah, be. Yeah. Well, yeah. listen, Brian and Troy, this has been absolutely fantastic. Yet again, if people, as we said before, if they haven't heard the first half of my story, go over to the I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist podcast, and then you can catch this second half. We will definitely do something again. There's no question about that. So we will. we need to stay in touch for sure. So thank you, guys. I've absolutely enjoyed catching up with you once again. We've loved it. It has been fantastic. And I think we've said this before, there's such synergy between us and what we do, but also our backstories. So mm -hmm. thank you. We really appreciate you having us on, Clint. Yeah, and I want to say, Clint, genuine fan from before you asked us on. I, I have been listening to you for quite a while and keep doing what you're doing, man. It's brilliant. Thank you so much. And let's keep in touch, guys. Thanks and have a good day. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks.